Welcome to episode 28 of the Tax Professionals podcast. In this episode, we discuss how to provide great tax advice on grey areas. Welcome to the Tax Professionals podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you improve your tax career. Here's your host, Jack Bonehill. About two years or so into being a tax advisor, uh, I was providing some advice to a client in relation to employment status for tax purposes, and they had some individuals working on a self-employed basis for them. And this was actually the first, unfortunately, only time that I had a client that was unhappy with the work I did and the advice provided. Ironically, I was really happy with what I produced as well, and so this was a massive eye-opener for me. At that point in time, I was heavily focused on being technically correct, but when it comes to employment status, there isn't actually a clear set of rules to be followed that helps you come to a definitive answer where you can actually say that for certain someone is employed or self-employed for tax purposes. It's a highly subjective area and even tribunals frequently disagree with each other and this is what makes providing advice on it so difficult. I spent a lot of time figuring out what I could have done differently so that the client would have been happy instead as I really didn't want this to happen again. I learned so much from this experience on how to advise on grey areas. It is challenging to provide advice where the position is grey or unclear, but there are so many areas of tax that fall into this category. So in this episode, I'm sharing with you six tips from what I've learned so that you can provide great advice when the answer isn't clear cut or black and white, so hopefully you don't have to go through the same as what I did. Make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes of the podcast that will help you to progress, develop and improve your tax career by signing up for email notifications at thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash subscribe. These notifications will give you a brief summary of each episode so that you can decide if you want to listen or not. Episodes are bi-weekly and are released on Mondays. Without further ado, let's get to it. The first tip is just a quick one that I want to cover and hopefully this one is obvious but I just want to make the point anyway so that I can hit it home is you need to understand the topic that you are advising on fully you need to understand which areas of it are black and white clear, which areas of it aren't and why they aren't clear, why they're grey because if you're talking to a client you need to be able to explain to them and bring them on the journey as to why it is grey so that they can actually make an informed and proper decision when you're giving them advice. In any event, even in areas that aren't grey, I just truly don't believe that you can advise properly if you do not fully understand the rules for something. And when I'm talking about understanding, I don't just mean being able to recite a rule or state it something like that I do truly mean understand it so that you can explain it and talk about it in different ways particularly if someone um, isn't being able to understand something you're explaining in a certain way so qualifications will obviously help you in in terms of getting the proper knowledge so the CTA and ATT qualifications for example Um, but there's obviously other ways that you can build knowledge as well and in both episodes one and five of the podcast I actually talk about ways that you can undertake effective tax research so that you can find the answer to any question. So you can use that in this regard to fully understand the topic. And also I have episode five, which is on building strong tax knowledge. Uh, you'll be able to get links to both of these episodes in the show notes. And hopefully it goes without uh, saying as well, um, if you don't have expertise or sufficient knowledge in an area, particularly ones that are grey, then just do not advise on it unless you're able to get that knowledge or have the support or, or help of someone else who does have it so that you can sufficiently and properly advise in that area. So now we've got that one out of the way, the obvious one, let's move on to some more juicy tips. So the second tip that I want to talk about is bringing the person that you're advising 
on the journey so that they can understand the rules, which areas of it are black and white, which areas are grey, because that way they will understand and appreciate the position, the risks, everything else that's involved, and they will be able to make an informed decision as long as you obviously, of course, give them all the information. So time when I had to do this was in relation to one client that I was supporting with um, completing their PSA or page one settlement agreement. And they were looking at whether some benefits could be exempt through what's called the trivial benefits exemption. And there is a condition that needs to be met for the exemption to apply, which is pretty grey. Only one of the conditions is grey and this is the one and this is the wording of the legislation. So basically the condition is that the benefit needs to not be provided in recognition of particular services performed by the employee in the course of the employment or in anticipation of such services. So HMRC set out their views very clearly in relation to what that means, but I and other people who I work with disagree with the interpretation that HMRC take. Uh, We think they take it to be quite restrictive, much more than what it actually is, and we think that there is scope to exempt more than what HMRC would exempt. And so I explained to the client um, what our position was on the legislation. I also explained to them what HMRC's position was on the legislation and I kind of explained how we've come to our interpretation, why HMRC's interpretation could have merit, why ours could have merit, so that then they had the full information in order to be able to understand why the position was grey. So that's the great starting point. They'd been brought onto the journey to understand why it was grey. They then appreciate it, and so when I move on to the next section of explaining the options and what the risks are associated with each one, they will have a better understanding of that and so they will be better equipped to be, uh, to be able to make an informed decision. One thing to note is that I didn't absolutely bombard them with information here. I gave them the information uh, that they needed to know, so explaining which part of the, so explaining which conditions were black and white, explaining which condition is grey and why that is. Uh, so I gave them enough to understand that but not too much that they would get bogged down in the detail. Uh, maybe even get confused and, and giving them unnecessary information. I didn't didn't do that because that was unnecessary in this case, but I did tailor it to the person I was speaking to who was fairly technical and so they could understand the fairly technical explanation. And so this is exactly what you should do too. Whenever you are advising on a grey area, bring the person you're advising on the journey to explain to them why it's grey and do all those things. I must say that it is much easier to bring someone on the journey if you're speaking to them verbally instead so they have the opportunity to ask questions etc but it can of course be done in writing as well you just need to make sure that you're clear enough and that you set it out in a clear and understandable way Um, and if you're interested in learning some tips on how you can explain tax rules and concepts clearly to help others understand then you can take a listen to episode 18 of the podcast which uh, covers exactly that. Tip number three is once you've brought the person on the journey to understand why the rules are grey, you can then make it clear to them what the different possibilities, options or outcomes are, along with the associated risks that are tagged on to each of those possibilities. Because once you do this, the person that you're advising has the information in order to make an informed decision. Because as advisors, we aren't there to make the decision for them, we're there to give them the information so that they can make the decision. So going back to the same example that I was talking about before on the PSA, once I'd explained to them what the grey area was, I then moved on to explaining to them what the different possibilities were. So just some examples of what the 
options were in that case is they could play it safe and always treat the benefit as not exempt. They could decide to go on board with HMRC's interpretation and only exempt it if it was within the realms of what they say is exempt. Or they could choose to go along with our interpretation and stretch the interpretation further than what HMRC is saying and exempt more benefits with a risk of being challenged by HMRC. So the risk with the first option of basically not exempting anything under the trivial benefits exemption is that they end up paying more tax. The risk associated with going with HMRC's interpretation is that they are potentially not exempting enough, so they're still overpaying tax. But of course, the risk is if they go with the third option of going with our interpretation, there's going to be some times where HMRC would challenge or disagree with something that they have exempt. And if HMRC were to find find out about it, then they could challenge it, which is going to take time and effort and maybe even money at the client. If HMRC wins the argument, then there's tax to pay, potentially penalties, and there is interest to pay as well. So you can see all the risks that are associated with it. And even the one where they're, I suppose, playing it safe in HMRC's eyes, so paying more tax, it isn't really a safe option because they're ending up paying more tax. But it's up to them, of course, once they've been equipped with the facts and the information, they understand why the area is grey, they can then make the decision. So hopefully that example there exemplifies that you should state the different possibilities that are available. And in most cases with tax, it's going to be whether something is taxable or not. But of course, there could be other possibilities too. Um, You can then state the risks that are attributed to each one, which in the main is going to be potential tax overpayments or underpayments. And if there is an underpayment, then there's interest and potentially penalties there too. Explain the penalty and interest position to the client so that they can understand when interest and when penalties will be payable. And of course, there would need to be a successful HMRC challenge first. There's also the time associated with dealing with any challenge from HMRC. Um and dealing with a dispute and there's potentially professional fees there as well if they want to go with that so that's something that they that you should make them aware of just want to highlight that it is a risk to play it safe let's call it in some cases which by that i mean overpaying tax and from the client's perspective it means that they won't be challenged by hmrc but what it does mean is that they're paying more tax than what they necessarily might need to. And if you're advising a client and you don't highlight all the options to them and they end up playing it safe, you can still be sued for that. And you're also giving the client a disservice by not giving them the full picture. So always give them the full picture, give them the options, let them make the decision. Tip four is basically understand the client's objectives, drivers and appetite for risk and advise accordingly. So if you've been advising for a number of years now or or any amount of time and you've got a variety of clients, you probably already appreciate that clients clients can take completely different views when it comes to tax. Sometimes they might want to be risk adverse in terms of not doing something which HMRC could challenge. Sometimes they might have a completely weird driver. So one of the things that we see, which is a bit of a unusual driver is that certain large corporates have a restriction on how many how many employees they can have and so they look for ways that they can still get more staff on board but they aren't an actual employee of the business and so if you understand that you can come up with better options that are more suited for them 
after you've explained the grade position to them. So if I go back to the, the story right at the start of this episode where I had the first client and only client, fortunately, that was dissatisfied with some of the work I'd done is they wanted to keep the workers as self-employed. They weren't really interested in what the actual correct answer was, but they wanted to know whether it could be a justified position. Can we justify that the workers that they had were self-employed? And at the time, in my inexperience, I didn't fully appreciate that. I was more interested in coming to what I thought the right answer was, and that just wasn't what the client wanted. So what I could have done in hindsight instead was understood their objectives, i.e. that they wanted to keep these in, uh, these workers as self-employed, and then had a look at the position to see whether or not there is any justifiable position um, to keep these workers as self-employed, and then, of course, highlight the risks to the client of doing so so that they can decide whether or not they want to take on that risk. If I would have done that, I have no doubt that the clients would have been much happier with the outcome than what they were with the output I did give them because as I say I was much more interested at the time in being technical trying to come to what was the right answer and in grey areas there aren't necessarily a right answer so you, you need to have your client's best interests at heart and funny enough I've actually had another client over the past few weeks who is in a similar position where they've got a worker who is self-employed and they really need a justification as to why this this person is self-employed. And their driver behind needing this is that the worker in question is in a role that is highly sought after, where there's hardly any people around that are able to do the work that this person can do. The person, the worker themselves, want to be self-employed and if our clients wasn't able to engage this person on a self-employed basis then they would lose the worker and they would have basically a shortfall because they wouldn't have anyone to do uh, this task that they needed doing. So that's a potential driver and an interesting one from from my perspective. So with that particular client I will now be trying to help them get to that position that they want if it is possible of course. It might not be and you also have to bear that in mind when you're trying to come to the right position to help a client achieve their outcome. You can't just disregard the law all of a sudden. You've still got to work within the realms of that. And so if it's not possible to justify something like this, then it obviously uh, needs to be said. So don't try and fudge the answer that a client wants just because they want it. That could leave you in a difficult position. But of course, if you can get to a position that the client wants, even though there is some risk associated to it, then as long as you explain that to them, then that, that should be okay. Obviously, of course, make sure that you make it absolutely clear that the situation is grey, the risk associated with it, etc. But once you've done that, the client will be equipped with the full facts and also the full facts towards an answer that they want. Not one that you want, one that they want. And as an advisor, we need to have our client's best interests at heart. And as long as it's within the realms of the law, then we should help the client get to the position that they want. Tip number five is basically... Uh, word your advice in a way that it is clear that there isn't a definitive answer. And so there's particular words that you could use to do this. So when you're explaining something where there isn't a definitive answer, then you could say things like that it is possible that this is the tax outcome here. Explain why. Other words that you could use as well on a similar vein um, are feasible. Is something feasible or not? Probable, likely, unlikely high risk, low risk, that this is the outcome, 
hopefully you get the gist, but there's a lot of words you can use there which will help caveat your advice and also make it clear to the clients that the answer isn't a yes, no, or black and white situation. I do think there's a fine line to draw though between caveating your advice to protect you and giving something that is useful to the clients because if you give them something that's so caveated with words um, that aren't definitive, like possible, like feasible, then you could end up giving them some advice that really isn't worth the paper it's written on and you're just protecting your own back. And in that scenario, you're probably going to get a client that isn't happy with the piece of advice you provided. I suppose there's not really much advice I can give you in that regard really because it's something I'm still learning, that's for sure. Um, But just bear it in mind that you still need to give the client something that is beneficial to them and is meeting their objectives. But at the same time, you can word it so it's clear to them that it's that there isn't a definitive answer. And if you've already done some of the other things that I've mentioned in this episode anyway, like bringing them on the journey, laying out the options, etc., then they should already realise that there isn't a definitive answer. And hopefully they'll understand more about why you think something is likely or why you think something is probable. Because if you've done your job properly, they'll understand why you're using those words that you're using. The sixth and final tip of this episode is to suggest to the, to the client to try and get clearance from HMRC. And so HMRC clearance is essentially where you try and get HMRC to sign off on a particular tax outcome. And there's, I suppose, two routes to doing this. Sometimes there is a statutory route to get HMRC clearance, and that's there in relation to certain tax rules. But even in cases where there isn't a statutory route, you can try and get non-statutory clearance from HMRC. So of course there is no guarantee that you'll be able to get HMRC to sign off on a tax position Um, and because of this some clients or or maybe even most clients in my experience prefer not to get HMRC clearance because they almost feel like they're putting HMRC on notice that they're doing something that HMRC might not agree with and that could maybe provoke or or prompts HMRC to start an investigation of some sort. And so, from experience at least, most clients like to stay away from clearance unless they think it's, say, a pretty strong position and they've got a good chance of winning. Of course, again, it it depends on risk appetite because some clients might want to run with a slightly riskier interpretation anyway and almost... Oh, I hope that HMRC never comes in and and challenges this, but equally they still have some justification, some defence that it it is the right position. The only time I've ever worked with a client who wanted to get statutory clearance was in relation to what's called salary sacrifice for pensions contributions, which brings a national insurance saving to the employer and also to the employee. I suppose the reason that they were interested in getting clearance in this case is because HMRC make it clear that salary sacrifice for pension contributions does achieve the right tax and national insurance position so long as it has been implemented correctly and the client in this case was interested in HMRC's view as to whether or not they'd implemented it correctly because if they hadn't implemented it correctly then that would be HMRC's chance to come back and say no this is why and then they could have addressed that. But of course fortunately since we were helping them out and advising them on, on the case we'd already made sure that it was set up properly and so that when we put in the clearance application, it was pretty much guaranteed for HMRC to come back and accept the position 
and that gave the client comfort because then they were at ease knowing that HMRC agreed that the national insurance position, the savings, were achieved. And I would say overall in that case, actually, the client had quite a, a low tax risk appetite. And the clients that do have those low risk appetites in terms of wanting to pay more tax to be safe rather than pay less and have risk associated with that, they're more likely to want statutory clearance because that's kind of in line with their tax ethos, if you want to call it that. The ones where clients like to take on more risk, they probably are less likely to go to HMRC and say that they're doing this and get them to agree just because they want HMRC to to stay away from investigating them. And that's not to say that they're doing that because they think their tax position's wrong. They just think there's potentially a higher chance of HMRC contesting it. And of course, there's a lot of time, effort, aggro that can that can come with that. So just in summary then for this episode, so the tips are understand the topic that you are advising on fully before advising on it, because that way you can fully understand what the grey areas are and what the grey areas aren't and explain those to the client. Bring the person that you are advising on the journey so that they understand which parts of the rules are being advised on are black and white and which parts are grey and in relation to those grey areas explaining and helping them understand why those areas are grey because then they can make better informed decisions. Make the different possibilities, options or outcomes along with the associated risks clear so that the person you are advising can make an informed decision. Understand the client's objectives, drivers and appetite for risk and advise accordingly because if they want to try and get to a certain answer is it possible for you to justify that? Is is that a possible position? And, is, and if it is, can you help the client get to that point? They will respect you and trust you more as an advisor if you can get them to that position. Word your advice so that it's clear where there isn't a definitive answer by using words such as possible, feasible, probable to explain that. But don't go overboard and caveat the advice so much that it's not worth the paper it's written on for the client. And in some circumstances, it might be possible to suggest getting clearance from HMRC so that a client can be comfortable that HMRC agree with their position. But in most cases, from experience at least, clients do not want to get clearance. But it's there as an option, so don't forget about it. You can find links to the episodes on how to undertake effective tax research how to build strong tax knowledge and on how to explain tax rules clearly in the show notes for this episode at thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash ttpp28 ttpp28 just stands for the tax professionals podcast episode 28 if you like this episode then you can make sure that you don't miss out on any new ones that will help you to develop progress and improve your tax career by signing up for email notifications at thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash subscribe these email notifications will give you a brief summary of each episode so that you can decide whether or not you want to listen and whether or not it's going to help you with your career episodes are bi-weekly and are released on mondays but that's it for this episode i hope you liked the episode and have taken away some useful points to help you progress develop and improve your tax career until next time 